I could I could use the little time that we have. I could use every bit of it and more going through uh, Jerry Mitchell's bio. Um, it is it is long. It is astoundingly impressive. I will just share this one because it's not as commonly known. Uh, Jerry conceived and created Broadway Bears, which is an annual fundraiser. Yes, for Broadway Cares Equity Fights Aid. AIDS, and since its inception, it has raised over. Twenty million million dollars. So, so I, I actually want to start not with our usual. Uh, we'll we'll talk about the show, but I have a theory that I've developed, and I want you to confirm or deny. I have a theory that people who started out as dancers have a different work ethic. True. Than just about anybody else. Agreed. Ever. So. Talk about I mean, you. Your first uh, Broadway appearance was as a dancer in Brigadoon for Agnes DeMille. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So but talk about that. Talk about what the work ethic is as a dancer and how that now translates into being a Broadway director. Well, I, I, my, as a dancer, I always want, wanted to be a choreographer and eventually thought choreography would lead to directing. But I wasn't in any hurry to get there. I wanted to dance. I was young and I was a good dancer and I loved dancing. So I came to New York on spring break from my sophomore year of college and I went to an audition with friends and they got cut and I got a Broadway show. <laughs> so. I, uh, I left school to come to New York to be in Brigadoon and work with Agnes DeMille. And then I worked with Michael Bennett. And then I worked with Jerome Robbins on Jerome Robbins Broadway. So they're just to name three of the greatest old time superstars who were all about um, craft. You know, you get up and you take class before you start rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So the process of a dancer is you take class every day because that is what you do. That's not rehearsal. That's just what you do. Like a like a, a baseball player goes and hits the ball a hundred times, or you know, a football player goes and throws the ball a hundred times. A dancer goes to the bar and does a hundred tendus. Then you come in and you start work on your pro. So you have a you have a a, a, a um, you know, you have a you have a craft that you bring into the room with right. you, and a technique and a discipline, and uh, it's changed. It's just changed. The, this is the funny story. Was I was working with Michael Bennett, who understood that craft and certainly was a part of that, but he was a younger generation than Jerry Robbins and and um, Agnes, and. I remember we were working on a new musical scandal which never made it to Broadway. I was his assistant and we were having a drink one day after rehearsal and he said, you know what bothers me is human rights have crept into the theater. <laughs> and I, thought, I didn't really know what to think about that when he said it, but then I thought, of course, the name director is from the word dictator, right? Captain of the ship. A director in the old days was somebody who said everybody shut up and whatever the director said was the way it worked. Nowadays, it's much more of a democratic process. And a good director has to learn to be a great politician because you have to convince everyone on the team that they are a part of the process. 
You have to invite them in order to get the best work out of them. And they are a part of the process, but it's just different. I've watched it from both sides. I've learned. And one of the great directors I learned from was Jack O'Brien. Jack O'Brien's won many Tony Awards. We did Hairspray together. We did The Full Monty together. We did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels together. I was the choreographer of all those projects. And Jack's older than I am, but Jack had worked like you at a Lord Theater and he developed the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. And so he learned the part of directing and the part of running a company. Right. And that process of how do you invite all of the creative people in to be a part of it. One of the greatest things Jack said to me was, as a, as a, as a director, if you can get everyone in the room to make an investment, to put a deposit in the production, hmm. When you leave the production and it's opened and hopefully it runs and continues, they will have a bank where they can go to and withdraw when they need to remind themselves of why they're there for the sixth year of doing the production or yeah. the sixth month or the sixth week. Why am I doing the same thing night after night? I have a bank account I can withdraw on and I can remind myself because I invested in Personal stick. Yeah. So I promise we are going to talk about uh, becoming Nancy, but I have, a, I have another one because I've had the um, great luxury of, of watching you over the past couple of weeks. Talk to us about the preview period, right? As yeah. you're transitioning out of straight up rehearsal, technical rehearsals, what is this, what is this couple of weeks about for you as a director and for your company? For, for me, it's about faster, funnier, louder. Uh, how, how tight can I make it? How clean can I make it? What is, what, is being, what is on the stage that you don't need to see? And by being in a preview, I watch the show now through the audience's eyes. And I watch where they like it and where they go, <coughs> or you know, where they don't. They don't necessarily respond, and I go, why aren't they clapping when I want them to clap? Or do I want them to clap here? Or can I move on to the next beat of the story without them having to? Is it, is it, in, is it an internal idea that they, that they don't really want to respond to? They just want to take it and move on. Mm. You find that out when you invite an audience in the room. And so I think the first week and the second week, a lot of that work was going on, and this weekend, I saw the show start to really jump. Like, you know, if you draw a graph, this is first preview and tomorrow is opening night, you do change, 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 and then suddenly you see, whew, you really start to go up the slope if you're doing it right. And I think this weekend we went, whew, we went way up the graph yeah. this weekend. What's something that you learned from the audience? Something I learned from the audience? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, in the second act, the show, there's a lot of payoff in the second act. And what I learned from the audience was that the payoff doesn't need to have applause. Uh. It, it, you don't have to applaud every number. You can move on with the story and wait till we get near the end where the audience can really respond right. and, and want to respond. Okay. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that I do. middle sec part of the second act. After the first Abigail Henson number, there's quite a lot of real stuff that happens. And it's not the kind of stuff that you necessarily would like go crazy for. There was one, one number, Abig uh, uh, Francis's number, 
that I did in the rehearsal room and I did ask for applause and then I decided first couple previews I would do it without applause because I thought maybe it didn't need it and then I decided no no I'm gonna let the audience the audience wants to applaud this girl and they want to applaud what she's saying they want to applaud her mindset and what's happening and and they're with her they're on her side so I changed it and I think it was the so, right change so in, in you just you just said something casually that um, I, I always think you know directors ought to keep secret but maybe not we can in fact cause people to applaud oh we can absolutely we can so how do you do it uh, well I've done it in many musicals where the audience is kind of going like this but I write the orchestrate the music and the bows so you stand up and applaud at the end and I didn't have to do that for this musical there's genuine love coming at these characters and the audience gets up and they want to join in they want to acknowledge them which is lovely which is great so you read you read the book that this musical is based on yeah and had a pretty immediate response that you wanted to instant <laughs> turn it instant, into something instant what response. was it what was it it was the characters it was the people i responded to them the boys david and maxie i responded to francis their best friend and what she's going through and uh, little did I know that the Francis story related to exactly what's happening in the United States of America right now. That's all I'll say. You'll see when you see it. But it was so uh, surprising, really. The more we got into it, the more I thought, well, these issues are still issues that we deal with on a daily basis. Right. Because they're human. They're human issues. They're human people. I think it's what, you know, Kinky Boots was interesting because Kinky Boots was a small community of people and you had a little bit of everybody in the show right. and I think the people who saw it could find themselves on the stage mm. and I think that's happening with this yeah I do so Styles and Drew who you had worked with uh, I know I'd never worked you had with never them. worked I'd with never them worked prior with to them. this I was only a fan okay <laughs> did you know so Jerry reads a novel he falls in love with it he decides I know this can be a show he is a fan of a, a, a composer-lyricist duo. Did you know ahead of time where it would sing? The show? Yeah. I had some ideas. I knew that the pop stars would have to sing, obviously, because right. they're pop stars. And I thought, uh, I knew that David would have to sing. Um, and I knew a couple of things that I wanted him to sing about. Um, and Francis and Maxie. Um, I didn't know the Aunt Val thing that they found, the night bus thing, Yeah, which is an amazing uh, thing. Abigail Henson, you know, the top of the second act, that came after several readings. We had a different song for his birthday, and then the Abigail Henson thing became after the last lab. We right. recreated created that number. The Brighton number was their idea, which I think is a brilliant, all the numbers were their ideas, but the Brighton number was so specifically their idea, which was why I wanted them in the first place, was they're English, and Elliot is English, and I wanted an English writing team because it's an English story. That doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not a universal story. It actually is a very universal story. But when you keep the fence around the community that's telling the story, I think it's easier to translate globally than when you open it up to all sorts of things. Keep it, keep it in its own little place and then let it spring from there. So is there a moment when you watch, because I, I, 
How, how many times have you seen it from page the first to page the last? Every Hundreds? time we've done it here so but far. I mean, yeah. But I mean, oh, all the readings, of, yeah, all yeah, the readings, yeah. all the workshops. Do you have a moment that particularly grabs your heart? I have a few moments, and it happens, it just depends on the night and depends on the way I'm watching the show. I watch different actors on different nights. Sometimes I'll say, I'm going to just zoom in on this relationship. I'm going to zoom in on this character. I'm going to make sure, you know, sometimes I just try to watch one character yeah. through the whole show. Yeah. Uh, so it depends on who I'm sort of watching. So. You know, I, I started by uh, positing that I, I think uh, Jerry's work ethic is um, sort of superhuman and wondered whether that came from a dance background. The other thing, when, when people ask, they, they say, oh my gosh, Jerry Mitchell's working at the Alliance. What, what, what's that like? And, and, and I, I, I'm forever telling people about your kindness. <laughs> and there's a particular story, and I, I, I'm going to ask you to share it, about Lizzie B., well, she... In Lizzie B.'s recent career trajectory. Yeah. So Lizzie B. plays Abigail Henson. And she, there are five actors on stage in the show who are English. One, two, three of them actually have green cards, so they work in America. No, four of them. One of them is from England and does not have a green card yet. But... When we first started working on the show, we wrote the show and we did a reading in London because I was working over there. And my casting director over there, I shared the script with her and I said, I need some young people and I don't really know any young people here. She got all these young kids and we got together in a room and we read and sang the first act, only the first act. And Lizzie B came in and played Abigail Henson. And she was so good in that reading that Styles and Drew offered her a role in their show Three Little Pigs that was going to Australia. She went and did that show. She was fresh out of school. She came back and I was doing Kinky Boots on the West End and I went into the theater and she was selling ice cream and programs in the lobby. She was back and I said, what are you doing here? She said, well, I'm auditioning for shows and this is what we do. We work in the lobby where we're a lot of us English young kids. They said, I'm having an audition for the national tour of Kinky Boots. I want you to come. She said, okay. So she came to the national tour, knowing full well that I was going to cast her in the part anyway. She, but she had to audition. She came to the audition and of course I gave her the part of Pat. And she's been playing Pat on the road for me in London for Kinky Boots. I took her out of that show and brought her to America for the reading of this. She went back to the tour. I took her out of the show to come here and play the role at the Alliance. She's going back to the tour on August, on October 7th, and she'll finish the run there. And she's auditioning for me when she gets back for Hairspray on the West End, which may just fall right in the pocket before we come to Broadway, so who knows? Who knows? But she's, when you see her, you'll know why. You'll absolutely know why. She got the part. But she you, she is, is a, Abigail. There is a tribe of people that you keep employed. Yes. I, if I find an actor that I love and I think has the goods, I will work very hard to find another job for them when the show closes. Because, And, and most importantly, if I have fun working with them. Yeah. Not only if I want to work with them, but I want to go have a meal with them after rehearsal. That really tells you a lot about a person. 
So what's, um, you've just spent a, a healthy chunk of time in Atlanta. Yes. What's your, uh, what's your takeaway? You're, you're um, back amongst your, your old stomping grounds and someone says, tell me about Atlanta, what do you tell them? I, I would like, I like Atlanta enough to consider buying a house here, but I wouldn't do it without a pool. <laughs> That's my takeaway. No, my takeaway is my takeaway is is I see why people love Atlanta. Um, the work has been spectacular. The people here have been amazing and have worked their butts off for me. Thank you. And I mean, really, they have really gone above and beyond. And um, and it's a, it's a great place to work. The heat is a lot, but you have to, <laughs> you have, to have a pool or a lake to jump in, I guess. We but were in London two weeks ago, and it was 90. It was no better. <laughs> it was no better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and air con there's no air conditioning in London. They don't believe in air conditioning. Or so ice cubes. I have, I have one last one for you before uh, these nice people get to see the show for themselves. Tell us about your experience the very first night this was in front of an audience. What did you expect and what happened? Uh, I didn't expect the response from the younger people who were in the house. How old are you? Uh, 13 on Thursday. Perfect age to see the show. Perfect age. Um, the, the young people, I'm going to say 20 years and younger, fell in love with the characters faster than anyone in the audience. And I felt like they were genuinely rooting for them. They were on their side by the time I Don't Care happened. And I thought that was truly amazing. I really thought it was amazing. Then I went home and I thought about it and I thought, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. The generation I'm gonna, I don't even know what generation they are. I know there's the X generation and the this generation. What is this generation called? The generation. Z. That, Z. What are they? Z. 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 What is that for? <laughs> well, whatever generation they are. I think no, but I think they're. I think they're a generation that has been exposed to, exposed to, a lot of difference in the world, and so they're quicker to accept difference than generations that have gone before them. Yeah. They've grown up they've grown up in a more culturally diverse world, so they're quicker to accept cultural diversity and sexual orientation and everything that comes along with it. And they're listening to the story and they're they're picking out very quickly who is good and who isn't and why that person is good and why that person isn't, and they're very fast at making decisions. I found that be, to be true with Kinky Boots also, yeah. as we toured the United States, particularly in small pockets, pockets of America where you would think it were a little more conservative. The younger generation was certainly much more um, easy to get on board and cheer you on. Yeah, yeah. So a, a word That surprised me. A, a word about your role. Um, during the preview period, as Jerry was saying, the creative team's very much listening to the audience as they're continuing to work on the show. Here's an interesting juncture that happens as we move to opening and beyond. During the run of the show, and, and if it was a less savvy director, I would, I would say, cover your ears. During the run of the show, 
many, many producers from New York, from London, theater owners, will be in our audience. And they will be looking at the show, making decisions about its future life. When they land, they immediately call the theater and they want to know how our box office numbers are. They want to know uh, uh, trajectory. They want to know about demographics. They want to know who's showing up. Quite, quite simply, the future life of the show is brilliantly taken care of artistically, but not completely insured until you all show up. And if you like what you see, and I'm, I'm really quite certain that you will, that you make sure people come. Yeah. And that is less about uh, the big A Alliance Theater, and that is more about you have a hand in the future life of this work. Of all work. Yeah. Of all work, really. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about the show is we've been doing about two weeks of previews, right? And I have heard from multiple people who have seen the show that they've already purchased tickets to come back. That tells you something. Yeah. That really does tell you something. So, thank you. Have such a splendid time. And um, tell 47 to 50 people uh, within 24 hours. Thank you.